Good morning, once again, good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Um, hey, if you're needing a little more elbow space here on Sunday morning, we are packed out these uh, morning services, and so if you need a little more elbow space, not right now, but, uh, but we've got a Saturday evening service, and uh, some of you probably didn't know that, but come out and join us on Saturday evening, and uh, especially if you work some of those crazy hours and you want to come in and be able to sleep in on Sunday morning? How many like to sleep in on Sunday morning? Wait a minute, this is the second service, so you guys did sleep in, didn't you? <laughs> You guys did sleep in this morning. So uh, just think about that, Saturday evening service. It's a great service, great time. And uh, so, hey, CrossFit is our current teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. We could actually say it this way, Finding Wholeness Through through a broken world, not necessarily in spite of the circumstances, but through the circumstances, God uses those in our life to, to bring about wholeness in our lives. Amazing Grace is the title of this weekend's message. This is, this is my favorite, favorite topic. Wait a minute, I say that every week, don't I? No, this, is, this really is uh, God's amazing grace. We're going to talk about the gospel. And uh, so let me uh, start off by getting you to think a little bit about this idea of the gospel it is one thing to know the gospel in your head and to be able to accurately articulate it, which, by the way, a lot of American Christians can't. They don't really know what the gospel is. They would typically define it completely wrong and contrary to the scriptures. So it's one thing to know it in your head and be able to accurately articulate it, but it's altogether another, another thing when the gospel captivates your heart. It captivates your heart. Totally different. So you can know the gospel and still not have it captivate your heart. It would, uh, it would be the difference between knowing that Carmel Breeze Frappuccinos are sweet and then having that sweetness on your tongue. The difference between, I know that they're sweet. How many, by the way, that's the most popular drink here at uh, the Desert Breeze Cafe. Anybody ever had the... Caramel Breeze, you're drinking them right now? Okay, okay. Caramel Breeze, Caramel Breeze, Frap. Good stuff. But, but you could talk about it all day long as you could the, the gospel and tell you what the ingredients are and yet not have the experience of drinking that Caramel Breeze Frappuccino and enjoy it. Same thing goes with the gospel. Same thing. Now, one of the things that uh, Nancy and I used to struggle with, uh, my wife, uh, with our kids when they were young is that they copped kind of an attitude uh, and as we would try to instruct them about the, the things of life, uh, they would start saying things like, I know that already. I know that already. I know that already. And we'd start telling them, hey, this is what you need. I know that already. It's like, y you're six years old. You don't know that already. You don't know what you're talking about. And it just gets worse as they get older, okay? In teenage years, it's even worse, Okay. Nothing against teenagers there, okay? Any teenager? They're all over there, so I can talk about them. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, we got, we got one in here. Okay, sorry. Please forgive me. No. Uh, but it's kind of like, I know that already. I know that already. And there's a tendency. I'm going to talk about some truths here, and some of you are going to say, I know that already. I already know the gospel. I know everything about grace. And so if you think you know it, I know that already, you really don't. You really don't. In fact, if you think you don't know it already, as you should, you are beginning to understand the unsearchable riches of it, of, of gospel, the gospel of grace, or the gospel in general, but more specifically, the understanding of, of God's amazing, amazing grace. In fact, let me prove that to you, that you probably don't know, know the gospel of grace as you should. None of us really do. We, we struggle with this. If you know it already, then let me ask you this question. Why are you so excessively anxious, angry, and depressed? Why are there times in your life where you're just like you're off the rails when it comes to anxiety, anger, certain people's names or certain situations just kind of fire you up? Well, why is that? If you really understood the gospel of God's grace. If you really understood the gospel of God's grace, then why are you overwhelmed by life's trials and seduced by life's temptations? If you really understand the gospel of God's grace, you know that already, then uh, why do you still get your identity from your dress size and what people think or say about you or how much money you have in the bank or the kind of car you drive or your home? 
how big it is or how nice it is. Why, why do you do that? If you really understand the gospel of God's grace, because you're not going to do that if you really understood that and we're living, you were living in the reality. It wasn't just a, a concept, it was a reality. You could articulate it, but it was more than that. It had overtaken you. Um, if you really knew the gospel of God's grace and you, you say that, hey, I, I already know that already, then uh, why isn't... Why isn't your life more characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or how about this one? Could you define your quiet time this last week uh, based on 1 Peter 1.8? Remember what we studied last week? So, so would this describe your quiet time, 1 Peter 1.8? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy? Would that define you and the time you spent with God this last week? Probably not. Maybe you had hints of that. Maybe you get that from time to time. But like most of us, we struggle in all of those areas. It's because we're desperate. We're desperate not just to be able to articulate the gospel, but the, the, the gospel would overtake us and captivate us. And... Uh, and this is what you need to know about the gospel, is that the gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's the A to Z, A to Z of the Christian faith. I was raised in a Pentecostal home. I love my background. And yet there were some things that they said in that that they would say, okay, oh yeah, you got the gospel? Okay, that's the ABCs. Now let's move on beyond that. There's something much deeper. That's simply not true. And I know that some of you that come from a Pentecostal background, I want you to hear me on this because you need to understand that the Spirit-filled life and actually even spiritual growth is not getting beyond the gospel, beyond the gospel but a greater, a greater realization and assurance and application of the gospel in our lives to the specific areas of our lives. It's... Um, Growth in Christ is never going beyond the gospel. It's going deeper, deeper into the gospel. So what this text that we're looking at today is teaching us is not only is it going to define for us the gospel, but we're going to learn how to gaze upon the gospel so that, so that it will begin to really captivate our lives and our hearts. And oh my goodness, when that begins to happen, you are never, ever, ever the same. And it revolutionizes your life. And so you can see on the notes, uh, what is the gospel? And then how to gaze upon the gospel is what we're going to look at this morning. Let me pray and then we'll dive into our text. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father God, the gospel message of grace is simply stunningly irresistible. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, like, like us. We once were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. What an amazing, what an amazing message, God, how you, how you continue to work in our lives and you transform our lives. I pray for those that are lost this morning that they would be found and those that are blind that their eyes would be open. Take us deeper into the gospel of grace, giving us giving us a greater realization and application of the infinite and eternal riches we have at the indispensable and costly expense of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this morning those truths deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text. Wonderful text. So let me give you a little bit of the context. Always when you read a text, you want to know the context. Context is that these people are getting the living daylights beat out of them. They're persecuted. They're being scattered throughout the regions, chased away from their homes. He's giving them resources so that they can rejoice. You'll notice if you have your Bibles open, in this you can rejoice. So we went through all those different resources that we have in the gospel, kind of uh, itemized those a bit talked about them, and he says, though you can, you can rejoice, in this you can rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, so it's testing the genuineness of your faith, and so in this he's saying, hey, you know what, life is filled with fiery trials, and it can either turn you into a cinder or it can make you pure as gold, as gold, and so the fiery trials can either make you bitter or better based on your response to those fiery trials, but you need the gospel so that you become better, that you can put the glory and the beauty of Christ on display. And so he, he goes through a lot of the specifics of that, and now in verses 10 through 12, boy, he gives us really uh, the gospel. What is the gospel, and then how do I gaze upon the gospel to make it a greater reality in my life? 
And uh, so let me read these verses, starting at verse 10, chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Concerning this salvation, so he's been talking about, it's all about our salvation. Salvation is synonymous with celebration because to the degree you understand your salvation is to the degree you're going to celebrate. You're going to go through the ceiling. You're going to go, wow, I can't believe what I have in him. And so concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace, oh, you thought the Old Testament was all about it was all about law, didn't you? But it's not. He's saying that these prophets were prophesying about grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. So he's talking Old Testament here. Prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the, per, uh, the Spirit of Christ, so these guys are inspired of God. So we believe the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are inspired of God. Which, what that means is that the Holy Spirit spoke to them, through them, using their unique personalities as they wrote this stuff down. It was coming through the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. So that's what he's saying here. So inquiring what person or time the, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings you got the cross there, and the subsequent glories. You got the resurrection there, and then he ascends to heaven on the right hand of the Father. Stop there just for a minute. So, have you ever been in, you know, maybe in a committee, small group, board of elders, or you know, whatever kind of meeting, and you're kind of decision, trying to make some really hard decisions, and you got a uh, difficult things that you're up against, and all of a sudden, you, uh, you, or maybe somebody in the group comes up with something that's absolutely brilliant. And then all of a sudden you realize that didn't come from actually you because you're not really that smart. And, uh, or maybe it didn't come from that person because you know them too well. They're not that smart either. And you just knew that it, was, it had to have come from the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever have that experience before, even in their own life? You, something comes out of your mouth, you're, kind of, you're sharing your faith with somebody or somebody's in crisis and you begin to share stuff and you walk away and you go, who is that was, that was talking? Well, that's a little bit of what's happening here with these prophets. They're getting this insight from the Holy Spirit. They're jotting it down, and then they're going, oh, my goodness, look at this. They're inquiring diligently, and that's literally what that word means, is that they're beginning to look at this and go, what is this all about? Oh, my goodness, this is way beyond our, our natural ability. This is supernatural. And so they're inquiring. They're looking ahead. By the way, Old Testament folks get saved just the way that we do. They look ahead to the cross. They didn't know really fully all of what that meant. But they, by faith in the salvation of God, you can read about that in, in Hebrews 11. It talks about that. And also uh, Romans 4 talks about that also. So they're looking ahead. We look back at the cross and at the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so then verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news. Who's he talking about? Those who preached the good news. He's talking about the apostles. Now he's talking about New Testament. This is brilliant. This is good stuff. I mean, he goes Old Testament, New Testament. So they predicted it. Now the New Testament apostles, they're proclaiming this gospel message. It's all about the grace of God. So let me continue reading. So it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, so there's a word gospel, good news, to you by the Holy Spirit. They're also inspired by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Check this next phrase out. Oh, this is rich. Things into which angels long to look. Would you say that angels are pretty brilliant beings, most likely, you know, been around for a long time, longer than you and I, so they're pretty smart. And yet they are, the word longs means lust. It means to be obsessed. They're obsessed with looking into the gospel. They're like, oh my goodness. This is the most amazing thing in the world. And, and so, I mean, what that tells us there is that uh, this means that there is no end to gospel exploration. We will spend all eternity uh, exploring the height, the width, the depth, the length, I mean, of the gospel, the grace of God. We will be forever amazed and in wonder. I love that last song we sang. Those songs just kind of recalibrated my heart this morning. I don't know about you, but they were really good as I was able to kind of, kind of dial in and really begin to focus on my Savior. And, and I, one of the things I've learned is that when I lose my wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, in him, I begin to wonder, W-A-N-D-E-R. I'm, I'm really bad about that. I, I really wonder, W-A-N-D-E-R, really badly. And I need to get better at wonder, 
like, oh, I want to be captivated by you. I want to stay close to you. I want to follow you. And so, okay, that's God's word. I don't know why I got off on that one. But, uh, but that's the word of God to us this morning. So it's pretty amazing, that last uh, things into which angels long to look. Okay. Woo! Good stuff. So what is the gospel? Here it is, number one. It is about God's amazing grace. We saw that in verse 10. He's, they're predicting this grace that is to come through the Savior. And so, uh, so it's really, really important for you to know what grace is. So turn to the folks sitting around you and see if they can give you a definition of God's grace. Okay, because as a Christian, we need to be able to define this. We kind of need to know this. So real quick, do that. Find out the people next to you. See if they know what it is. Okay, this is what separates Christianity from every major cult and religion of our world today. It's called grace. It's grace. Don't ever forget that. Well, all roads lead to God. Well, simply they don't, okay? And uh, I'm sorry, but you obviously haven't studied all the roads, have you? Because if you study the roads, you go, oh, they don't lead to God, do they? No, they don't. Sorry. But uh, what you understand is that it's, when you understand grace, it's just, it's amazing. It truly is. You can't say grace without saying amazing. It's amazing grace. And and when you understand that, and, and grace, any, any definitions did you guys come up with? You want to yell them out to me? Unmerited favor, yeah, that's a good one. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, it's, so it's just, anything else? Unconditional love, yeah, those would be some good, good definitions. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are a couple of verses that would be good to memorize. For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, that is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's basically, it's kind of given us a definition of grace. It's not by works. It's not by your performance. It's really by the performance of Jesus Christ. That's what grace is. And actually, it's, it's, it's really amazing in the sense that what it implies, because it's actually, uh, grace is not giving favor to someone to whom you simply owe nothing. It actually goes beyond that. Grace always means showing favor to someone to whom you owe the opposite. You also need to know, if you want to understand grace, you understand justice and mercy. So justice would be getting what you deserve. Would you guys agree with that? So it's getting what you deserve. So justice, if you get justice, you get what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Actually, because you deserve actually the opposite. And yet God in his grace, uh, and this is what's fascinating about it because it tells us in another great verse to memorize, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were sinners, we don't have anything to do with God, and uh, we were enemies of God, we were objects of his wrath, and he died for us. He died for you. You didn't want to have anything to do with him. You were running from him. You were, you know, you despised him. And yet he died for you. So he didn't give you what you deserve, his wrath, judgment, but he gave you his grace. And this is what's crazy about it. And I, I wrote it down here. So it's Jesus is indispensable, costly, indispensable because there was no other way to have a relationship with God. Indispensable, costly death that bridged the vast chasm of divine alienation between us and God, restoring us to a place of favor not just favor, but friendship. Not just friendship, but we're his kids. We're children of God. First John 3, 1, he's so overwhelmed with it, he, he can't even put it into words. He goes, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's, I mean, that's actually kind of what he's jotting down in First John. He's like, oh, that's crazy. I mean, and so, so we're, we're kids. We're his kids. We're part of his family. And that's what melts and transforms our hearts. And uh, it's pretty crazy. Here's the next thing. It is about uh, what Christ has done. So it's about God's amazing grace. It is about what Christ has done. Did you notice in verse 11 and verse 12, it says, so the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Notice it didn't say about your sufferings or about how much you perform or about all you need to do, all these things, and somehow then he will, you'll please God and then he'll invite you into his family. It has nothing to do with you in that sense. It has everything to do with Christ. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, verse 12, in the things that have now been announced, that's, a, that's an important word, announced to you through those who preach the good news. 
Now, you've heard me say this many times before. If you hang out at Desbury's long enough, you're going to hear me say it over and over again. You need to memorize this. The gospel isn't good advice, it's good news. It's not good advice, it's good news. What's the difference between uh, good advice and good news? Now, by the way, you can go to church today, and a lot of churches are teaching good advice. And you need to know the difference between good advice, good news. And you, need to, you want to go to a church that teaches the good news, that preaches the good news, that proclaims the good news. Here's good advice. Here's good advice. So you, you got that new car. You're making payments. You're going to get it paid for in about 20 years. And uh, no, in about, I don't know how long the payments are nowadays because I haven't had a car payment in a, in a long time. But just here's some good advice is that when you get that car payment and it gets paid for in about five years, take real good care of the car because that car will probably last another five years. So take that extra money that you were given to the bank. Now put that in, in the bank for you and save that up, and if you take good care of your car, then you could trade your car in with that extra money and maybe pay cash for your next car. It might take a couple cars to do that. But see, that's good advice. Now, let me give you good news. I have bought the car of your dream for you. Here's the keys. That's good news, isn't it? In fact, you'll never have to buy another car for the rest of your life. I've got you covered. You wear that one out, come and see me. How many are for that? How many... Okay, it's not going to happen, okay? <laughs> it's not going to happen. But that would, be good, that would be good news. That would be good news. Can, do you see the difference between good advice, good news? So, so good advice is what you must do to be right with God. Good news is what God has done to make us right with him. So, so it's the major difference. So that's why I said he announced, he announced to you, it's, hey, it's over. It's done. It's an announcement. This is what you have. It's yours. It's by God's grace. It's the gospel of grace. So, so it's an announcement. It's preached. They preach the good news. Uh, the gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history that changes your status forever. <clears throat> and so here's the announcement. Get ready. Here's the announcement. Jesus paid it all. That's an announcement. Jesus paid it all. What does that mean? He has not only purchased your forgiveness of sins, but also your ticket to heaven. Oh, but also everything in between those two for you to live a full, meaningful, amazing life in him. Paid in full. That, see, that's an announcement. It's a done deal. It's yours. Yeah, but I'm pretty jacked up. I know you are. I've hung out with you. And I am too. And that's why it just makes us that much more desperate for Jesus. The more you realize, wow, I'm not even anything close to what the Bible teaches. Exactly. You've been reading the Bible lately, haven't you? <laughs> that's great. That's wonderful. Now, now your heart's going to be more towards him. You're going to go, wow, I, I did need him. And I do need him. And yes, help me, Jesus. Transform my life. Help me. Help me to know you. Help me to grow in my relationship with you. And that's, that's it. Now, let me give you a little bit of insight so that you know how to pray for me and, and what to expect when you come in here on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is really my goal each and every uh, weekend. It's not to give you a lecture. When you, when you go to a lecture, you, people leave with information. Nor is it to be a motivational talk. Because with motivational talks, people leave with uh, action steps. And not that you don't get information or action steps when you leave here, but there's, there's something much more important here. A sermon, with a sermon, people leave worshiping. And there's a major difference. I want you to be captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. At some point in the message, I pray that you don't, that you don't look up and say, oh my God, look how much I have to do for you. But, but somewhere in the message, I pray that, that, that you look up and say, oh my God, look how much you have done for me. That you're just captivated with his beauty and his glory and who he is. And that is what will begin to change you, your behavior and everything about you. Because that's what I've experienced in my life. Now, here's the next point, number three. It overtakes and transforms you to the degree that you are forever indebted to God. So forever you have this indebtedness. Now here's what's crazy about this indebtedness is that it doesn't matter what goes down in your life from this point on until you die and go to be with him for all eternity. It doesn't matter because what he's given to you is so amazing. It's beyond what you deserve and beyond what you've ever dreamed that, hey, however your life might go from this point on, it doesn't matter. 
And I can always tell when people don't really understand this level of indebtedness because they don't understand grace, they don't understand the gift of God's salvation, is because they, they have an attitude of entitlement and they oftentimes defect from the faith by saying things like, well, I tried that. Or I went to church and this is what I get from him. It's like, no, you, didn't even, you don't even understand what you have in him. Because it, it wouldn't matter if you understood that you have him. You know him. His grace is so amazing. Oh, by the way, there's a couple verses I forgot to quote there. Go back to the last point. And two of my favorite verses, you got to quote these verses. These, these are really defined grace for us. The first one is uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and the other one is 9, 8. 8, 9, 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 9, 8. Easy to remember. 8, 9 is this. He's defining grace for us. He's saying, for you, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. <laughs> That's good. And, then, and then it's okay, okay, so what, how rich are we? Well, okay, that's uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The word he uses twice, abound, <clears throat> speaks of a river overflowing its banks. And so he's not just going to give you just enough grace to get by. He's going to overflow flow your life. He's going to flood your life with his presence and his peace and his power unlike you've ever experienced before. Even in the most difficult circumstances, God is able to make all grace abound to you. God's grace empowering presence, his empowering presence enabling us to be what he wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do. And he's able to do that in all circumstances at all times. It's ours. He paid for it in full. Regardless of how you might have performed this last week, it's yours. What changes your performance is understanding that and walking in the reality of that more and more all the time. Okay, now back to this one. So it overtakes and transforms to the degree that you are forever indebted to God. And, and so let me kind of walk through these verses again, our text. The gospel is the theme of the Old Testament prophet's expectation, verses 10 and 11. The Holy Spirit's inspiration, verse 11 and 12. The New Testament apostles' proclamation, verse 12. And then the last part of 12, and the angels' fascination, verse 12 things into which angels long to look. They're obsessed at looking. So God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. So the changed life comes as a, as a result of this offer of this free gift. And so it's really important that we really understand this free gift. So what I've got to do is that when I, don't, I find myself kind of misbehaving in a way that would be inconsistent with the gospel, I've got to get back to the gospel. What is it that I'm not living in the reality of? And by the way, Here's another interesting thing that I've seen grow up, growing up in church is that oftentimes pastors will use uh, bad means of motivation such as uh, fear and pride to get people to do what they want them to do. One of the reasons why we don't pass a plate here is because we want you to give for the right reason. We want you to give out of fear and pride. I gave you some examples of that, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where he's actually using that verse to motivate them to give generously to folks that are that are not doing so well. And he doesn't uh, work on their fear by saying, hey, you guys, you know what? Um, God's gonna get you. And what are all these people gonna think of you if you don't start giving more generously? He doesn't use that, nor does he use pride. Hey, you're better than this. Which is often the two ways that people are motivated in churches these days. But this is what he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Do you understand that? The more you realize that, it's going to be obvious that you're going to be very gracious. You're going to be giving. So there's a major difference between a moral restrained will, outside-in transformation, versus inside-out, supernaturally transformed heart. See, if you're motivated by fear and pride, that's external. It's not going to last very long. Your, your change isn't going to last. But when you are motivated out of a heart that's captivated, overtaken by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is, it's no longer about you. By the way, fear and, uh, fear and pride and motivation is still about you. All you've done is harnessed your self-centeredness to somehow get you to start behaving in a way that would be consistent maybe with the gospel, but it's not really consistent with the gospel. It might look like it on the outside, but truly it's not on the inside because you're doing it all for the wrong reasons. You're doing it for you because you're afraid of what people will say or, hey, you're better than this. Yeah, I'm better than this. I can look at me. No, it's not about fear and pride. It's about love. It's about being captivated by his love for you. Why did you come to church today? Why are you here? Well, my, work, my, my week seems to go better. Well, it seems like it's all about you then, isn't it? 
Is it about you or is it about him? And the more you get it off of you and the more you're captivated by him, is, is that you begin to understand that's what begins to, you're overtaken, it overtakes and transforms you to the degree that you're forever indebted to God. He's even, he, I, I put another illustration there, he's talking to men who in a very promiscuous society, it was not uncommon for them to have a wife and then have, you know, um, you know, not second wives or third wives, but more just, uh, what, what would they call them, concubines? Or, yeah, what was that? Mistress, yeah, there you go, mistress. And it was common to, for them to have mistress or other, you know, sleeping around. And, and he doesn't go, how dare you guys do that? God's going to get you. Or he doesn't even say, uh, you know, you guys are, you know, above this. This is below you. You know, he goes, guys, guys, listen. Love your Christ as Christ. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. Do you understand that? Because you're not going to mistreat your wife, nor are you going to have a mistress. Your eyes aren't going to be wandering off everywhere. Because you understand that his eyes, our Savior's eyes, are focused on us and his love for us, his bride. So anyway, just another thing. So, so it's not a morally restrained will, but a supernaturally transformed heart because it's more than you deserve and more than you could ever dream. And so really, I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. So we are, we are not changed by being told what we need to do for God, but by hearing the good news about what God has done for us. I got a movie clip. I never get tired of sharing this. If you've been with us, I probably share this every year. And I'm gonna keep sharing it until I die, okay, and then you'll have to get another movie clip, or unless you can tell me a better one. But this is from the movie uh, Les Miserables, and not the most recent one. I could not hardly handle that most recent one. Oh, my goodness. They sang the whole movie. It was unbearable. I mean, I don't sing, I don't sing to my wife every, you know, Honey, let's go to the store and buy groceries. And then she responds by saying, Yes, I will go to the store. And it's like, ah. Oh. Just talk. There's no singing in this one. This is the Liam Neeson one that I really like. And, and, and if you're familiar with the scene, I used to think that, it, that it's not really a perfect illustration because the bishop lied. I realized that it wasn't a lie at all. Because remember when... When the soldiers bring him back, uh, the convict back to the house because he ripped him off and, and the bishop says, hey, wait, I gave you these golden candlesticks too. And I go, no, he didn't. But then he did. He did because when the bishop took this ex-convict into his home, he knew what this guy was capable of. So when he took him into his home, he was putting everything at risk. So in a sense, he gave away everything. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus' grace is even more shocking. He came to this earth, made himself weak and vulnerable, put himself in the hands of people who plundered him. So watch this. Who can that be? Do you have any food you can spare for me? Come in. Look, I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. I've served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday, or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. He's very dangerous. Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. I'm a convict. You saw my passport. I know who you are. You're going to let me inside your house. What crime did you commit? Maybe I killed someone. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it. 19 years in chains. 
So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with a yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon and then what? Starve to death? <laughs> 19 years. And now the real punishment begins. <laughs> Man can be unjust. Man, not God. All right, whoever you are, thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in. A real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Ooh, that's that's good, huh? Makes you want to watch the rest of the movie, huh? I love that. I, I've watched that over and over again. It's just like, let me ask you this. Has that ever happened to you? Have you had those moments in your life where you're just like stunned and you realize, wait a minute. 
That's God. He's ransomed me. He purchased me with his blood. And now I'm his. And I'm going to live my life for his glory. I mean, the, the reality of that's just, it's stunning. Stunningly beautiful. I mean, has that happened to you? Do you, you know what I'm talking about? I, I pray, I pray that it happens to you. Maybe, maybe this morning, maybe today. I've had multiple times in my life where I've had those, those encounters with God where the reality, I begin to realize what he's done for me and that's just, it's stunning. It's, it's, it's the gospel of grace. It's the Holy Spirit making it alive to us. And so how do we get that deeper into our, our heart? How do I gaze uh, upon the gospel? When we talk about gaze, we're talking about adoration and satisfaction. And oftentimes that's what we're, we're really needing to do. We might be able to articulate it, but how do we get it down deep to where we're stunned as Jean Valjean was at this bishop and what the bishop said to where it becomes such a reality, so, so tangible to us, so real. Uh, this is what we need to do by reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on God's word. Uh, verse 12, things into which angels long to look, as I s- stated, this means there's no end to gospel exploration, just exploring it over and over again. I'll give you a number of verses the Bible talks about meditating on God's word. Joshua 1.8, it's before the nation of Israel was going into the promised land. He tells Joshua, he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Then you'll be able to do everything that is written in it, and you'll be prosperous and successful. Maybe you're familiar with this verse, Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against God, yeah. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. So God's word is about, really, the scriptures are meant to redirect our wandering hearts to their true destination and most satisfying delight, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you need a a considerable amount of time in God's word. I thank God that I'm able to spend a a considerable amount of time in God's word, just meditating, reflecting, memorizing. Uh, and then the next one, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament predicts our rescuer, and the New Testament uh, presents our rescuer. John 5, 39 through 40. Remember the Pharisees? They knew a lot of Scripture. And he, uh, Jesus said, you study the Scripture thinking that they will give to you to life. They'll, they will give to you life, but actually they, they speak of me, me, Jesus. And I'm the one, I'm the source of life. It will bring you ultimately to me if you were reading it appropriately. They were not reading the Bible appropriately. By the way, you can read the Bible inappropriately. You can almost turn it into like it's Aesop's fables of life lessons. Oh, I need to, so that I can live a better life and somehow please God. The only thing that pleases God is you living by faith in his son and all that his son has done and having your heart captivated by his beauty and glory and allowing that to transform your life. So there's that tendency, and not to say that the Bible doesn't give us instruction about our life, it does do that, but what you're going to find out more than anything, you're not living up to that level of instruction, and it's going to drive your heart closer to the Savior. You're going to need and want and long the Savior that much more. And, uh, the, and this is one of the best uh, definitions, I think, Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it this way, the Bible isn't a book of rules or heroes as much as it's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace to rescue the one he loves. So the Bible is not about what you must do to be right with God. See, if you, if you read the Bible thinking, okay, this is what I need to do to be right with God. No, 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 you're going to read the Bible wrongly. It's primarily about what God has done to make us right with him. It makes all the difference in how you're, you begin to interpret the scripture. And uh, in Luke... 2427, remember when Jesus was with the two Emmaus-bound disciples, they were really dejected, depressed, this guy shows up, they didn't know it was Jesus, he begins to talk to them, and then he begins to do this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. A little bit further on in the story found in the 24th chapter of Luke, and it says, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and then he vanished from them. He, they recognized, this is Jesus. And then it says in verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? So as he was opening up the scripture, they were, they were seeing, they were beholding the beauty and the glory of Christ. I like what uh, Tim Keller gives us a good overview of the Old Testament. If you're familiar with a lot of the Old Testament stories, 
Like I said, these aren't Aesop's fables, life lessons, but this is really, and when you study the Scripture, you want to crave a glimpse of the only one that can satisfy your soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is what, it'll take me two minutes to read through this, so, so hang in there. Quick overview of the Old Testament. Jesus is the true and better. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, uh, has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me, now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and saying, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only received the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who, struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible isn't about you, it's about him. It's all about him. And so that takes us to the last point on our notes. Gazing is a way of craving a glimpse of God that satisfies your soul so that you release your grip on anything you think you can't live without. Those things that we think we can't live without, like relationships and money and all this other stuff is, is idolatry. And so we, we are able to release our grip on those things because they don't so control our lives Gave you a number of verses to help you with that. And what I'm talking about here is really the, it's called the explosive power of a new affection. Now, from time to time, I have guys that come up to me and they will say, Pastor Ray, I really struggle with my sexual drive and I have a struggle with pornography and, and sometimes my girlfriend and I get a little bit too close and, and, and really that whole uh, sexual drive can be every man's battle. It's really a struggle that, that most guys all struggle with. But that's not the only desire and drive that, that people struggle with. Um, and, and I always, I, I typically, this is how I would counsel them, is that you can actually turn that drive on and off like a light switch. And uh, you can turn your sexual drive or desires or any desire off and on like a light switch. I mean, for instance, take any of the desires such as the seven deadly sins. So you got pride, anger, envy, lust, greed, gluttony, slothfulness. And you might think, what? You've got to be kidding me. And, and oftentimes people respond, no, there's no way that I can turn that on and off. And uh, so I said, no, I'll prove it to you. So if, if you're with your girlfriend in her apartment, you probably shouldn't be there. And uh, first of all, you probably need to have better boundaries than that and probably should never go over there. But you, let's just say that you're sitting in her apartment, you're watching a movie, one thing leads to another, you, you know, uh, your, your desires begin to take over. You're feeling a little bit out of control. And before long, you can't, you can't say no. You can't say no. And many guys will say, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, um, and at that very moment, in walks your girlfriend's Navy SEAL dad home from Afghanistan. So where is your sexual desire now? It's still there. It's still there. It's just that your desire not to get murdered is stronger. 
okay? <laughs> so here's the deal. It's not that your sexual desire or any desire, by the way, we all have these desires that lead us away from Christ. Every one of us do. It's not that your desire is too strong. It's that, it's that your desire and love for God is too weak. It's called the expulsive power of a new affection. Thomas Chalmers, a Puritan, wrote a a phenomenal message. He says that when you become captivated by him and what you want to do is gaze upon him until all the desires for this world kind of go by the wayside. Excuse me. Because then you begin to realize, why am I clamoring for the mud puddle when I've got a Caribbean cruise in store for me through Jesus and what he offers me? Why would I clamor for this dumpster diving when he has set a banquet table for me? See, that's the reality, the reality of the gospel. So this is how we're going to end. So, man, we covered a lot of good stuff. Woo, this is good stuff. So, um, so what is the gospel? Amazing grace, what Christ has done. It overtakes and transforms us. We need to get into the scripture. It's all about Jesus. We need to learn how to gaze gaze upon it and, and be captivated by this man, Christ Jesus. So, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to end with this prayer. We're going to pray with our eyes open. And this is a gospel prayer from, uh, from a guy by the name of J.D. Greer. So I'm going to walk you through this. I would encourage you to pray this prayer this next week, every morning when you get up or sometime throughout the day, is to pray this prayer. And so, in fact, why don't you stand with me and we'll pray it right now. I'll walk you through it. Don't forget, linger this Wednesday. 6.30 right here, we're going to spend some time gazing, gazing upon the beauty of, of Christ to drive this stuff deeper into our heart. And so here it is. This is the prayer. We're all praying this. I'll pray it for you. So God, we pray that in Christ that we would realize more and more, the realization of this more and more, that there is nothing that we can do that would make you love us more and nothing that we have done. Listen, nothing that you have done that would make him love you less. That, that truth alone is amazing, God. So help us, help us to see that, your amazing love. And in fact, God, your presence and approval are all we need for everlasting joy. Not a nicer home, bigger car, that job, more money, whatever it is, or that relationship. It's, it's your presence. We have his presence and approval. That's all we need for everlasting joy. Thank you, God, for that. And as you have been to us, may we be to others. May we be just as generous, giving, and forgiving as you are to us. May that overflow our lives. And as we pray, we will measure your compassion by the, by the cross. Not by our circumstances, but by the cross. We'll always go back to the cross. God, that's how much you love us. And your power, the resurrection. God, your power working in us through the resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.